0: Hey there, Alec Levin here, co-founder of Steadfast Beta, and your host for the Steadfast Cast. Today, we're joined by Rich Emrich of Altus Assessments, who's coming in to talk to us about product pricing and how to understand how much value you deliver to your users. This is a really interesting conversation. If you want to learn how to price your product, you're definitely not going to want to miss this episode. Tune in. Um, Is it picking up sound, All's good? Yeah, we're good. Okay, cool. is it recording? It's going. Awesome.
1: Okay, you're going to stitch it all back together and. <laughs> something like
0: that. Yeah, something like um, that. Yeah. Take out all Sometimes this... we actually keep the banter because it's kind of interesting before the actual official starts or oh, of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, we're saying we're testing some stuff out. Um, anyway, cool. Um, Rich, welcome to the Steadfast Cast. Thank you so much for joining us here. Thanks for having me. Um, so, you are the CEO of Altus Assessments. Can you tell us a bit about what you're doing there?
1: Sure. So, our team uh, helps academic programs. Um, screen for personal professional characteristics in order to select higher quality applicants for their programs.
0: So why why like would, um, you, I know you guys have like Yale and a whole bunch of other great schools um, using your software. Mm. Why would they use that in addition to the, I guess, whatever MCAT, LSAT, whatever, whatever other tests there are out there?
1: Sure. So they, they have um, a lot of things on the cognitive side that they can rely on. Um, that are reliable and that predict for future performance, right? Um, So their GPA, you know, your marks in high school, um, all those standardized tests that you mentioned, those all are reliable tests, and that means that you can use them over and over again on somebody and you get roughly the same result out of them and that they're predictive, meaning it actually tells you something about how they're going to do in the future, right? On the personal professional characteristics side, nothing really exists that's easy to use, that gives you a reliable and a predictive result. So you can use personal statements or reference letters, but the, the evidence is quite clear. Those aren't reliable and they don't predict for future results. Um, standard interviews, same thing. And all of them require the admissions departments to actually put in effort to screen those individuals. Have to read a reference letter and decide if it's good or bad. And i you know, by the way, they're always good. <laughs> uh, Does it even after. matter <laughs> having
0: reference letters anymore? Because,
1: well, who, you know, the, I think the most of the people we talk to say, well, you know, uh, you know, all the candidates can walk on water, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Right. If <laughs> you read the reference letters? Um, so they're not reliable. That's kind of understood. Yeah. Uh, same thing with the personal statements or autobiographical sketches, as they call them. Uh, it's the same sort of idea. So you've, you know, rare is the person who hasn't. Uh, you know, got a team of their family or friends to <laughs> chime in on how uh, how to write these things. Yeah. So it's not a true reflection on who that person is. And in addition, then the schools have to read them and decide if they're good or not, assign maybe a score to them. Uh, and the same thing with uh, with interviews, with right. standard interviews. Well-known halo effects where, you know, if I'm sitting beside you evaluating somebody across the table, you know, if you, I'm picking up what you think about them and it's influencing how I think about them. Right coming across and the questions you ask and everything. So interviews have gotten a lot stronger, especially in high stakes admissions for things like medicine, where they've got the interview broken up into very regimented chunks called the multiple mini interview. And we know that's reliable and we know that predicts for future performance. But all these take things take a lot of energy and there's nothing yet at the pre-screen stage. So if you're applying to my program, I don't care what program it is, mm-hmm. you're submitting me you know your your cognitive score, whatever that happens to be. And the question is, My what do you do on the dad. other side? Yeah. What what what's on the other side of the ledger that tells me something about you that doesn't take me an enormous amount of effort to generate as a program? And that's where our product comes in, Casper.
0: So if you wanted to, so I'm am applying to medical school, and obviously a good part of being a doctor is actually treating patients with respect and listening to them and all that kind of stuff. And so what you what you guys have is a strong predictor of uh, whether or not I would be good at that.
1: Right. So it's measuring for things like communication, collaboration, empathy, advocacy. Like these are some of the words that you would associate with personal and professional characteristics. Gotcha. Ethics, resiliency. Yeah.
0: And so your customers are the deans at different schools, different departments of different schools, is that right?
1: They're the academic programs at those schools, Gotcha. So it'll be, you know, engineering, law, business, uh, nursing, dentistry, medicine, any program that's graduating somebody, I would argue, right? that's dealing with another person. I don't care if that's a patient or whether, um, you know, you, if you look at, I think engineering's fascinating. I'm, I, I, I came from an engineering background and, uh, you know, gone are the days that you slip a problem under the door and you get an answer back. Now right. you, you're working in teams, developing products. So you better have some personal and professional characteristics. (laughs) Um, You know, it's not just good enough to be smart. A lot of smart people out there. The question is, what else do you need in order to be top-notch, right? Um, And if you're not working on a team as an engineer, you're in consulting engineering, you have clients or you're, you're, you know, working on your own and you have customers, Uh, you know, even in retail environments, it's a huge part of whether somebody's going to succeed or not. Right. Yeah. So, so, I mean, those are, if, if, again, if you look at medicine, it's a good example. Um, there's tons of people who are smart. Yeah, yeah. even uh, nursing programs. I was talking to one director of a nursing program who said the cutoff for high school marks was 92%. That's insane. And you can't tell me there's not a, you know, an 85% or an 83%. Like, clearly that person's smart enough. Right. So what makes what makes up the rest of what makes a great nurse, as an example? Right. Is it that they got another two percent on their high schools, you know, their high school marks in their courses? I would think that a lot of people <laughs> would argue no, right. <laughs> some other characteristic about them, right? Gotcha. You know, are they caring? Are they empathetic? Um, you know, do they work well in teams? It's all these other characteristics that aren't cognitive, right?
0: Right. So let's flip the conversation over a bit. The one thing that we, recently you and I had a conversation about right. pricing, right? right. And uh, it seemed to me after that conversation, actually during the conversation that I think every young startup founder gets pricing really wrong or most young founders. Because the math that I did when I initially priced my product, priced what we were doing was, Mm. here's how much it's going to cost me to deliver, you know, whatever value this customer is looking for. And now I'm going to multiply that by 1.5. And that's my markup. And then that 0.5 ends up being you know, our, our operating revenue or profit or whatever it is. Right. Uh, and uh, you think that's the wrong way to do it. And you convinced me. Remind me again why I was so foolish last year to, to take that approach.
1: Uh, yeah, I got to remind myself what our conversation was. <laughs> <laughs> I can come up with what my rationale would be right now, though. Sure. So you're describing what makes, a, what makes a business operating in a certain way make sense. You're trying right. to rationalize what the business would be when you're taking that approach to pricing, right? right? It's a very different approach if you look at it from the perspective of value. So as a customer, I'm going to experience some value of your solution, right? So you're gonna come to me and you're gonna solve some pain, you're gonna eliminate some fear, you're gonna do something for me that I'm going to pay for, right? Mm-hmm. That's a business. Yeah. Right, okay. So if you think about it from the customer's <laughs> side, <Yeah. laughs> it's not about, your business and how you've structured it, they don't care. Right. What they care about is what value are they experiencing at, from using your your product? And more importantly, what are they going to have to do in order to change to use your product? And is it worth um, undergoing that pain? Right. Right. So I think about it, I, I came from an engineering background, so I've got this uh, picture in my head of um, a chemical reaction. Right. And so there's different energy states. And I think about it the same way if somebody's going to choose to use a product or not. So, you, you know, it doesn't matter if it's, uh, you know, using a new toothbrush or switching your toothpaste or if it's, uh, you know, considering your product or my product or anyone's product. There's where I am right now. I'm going to decide whether to listen to you is the first thing. Right? Right. So you're going to describe to me this, this, this higher plane, if you will, The thing is, they don't just draw a straight line between where I am and where I'm going to. There's some pain that I need to overcome in order to get to that space, is the way I think about it, right? Value is is describing to the customer that it's worth doing that in order to get to that better place, right? So you're going to have to do something extra. I'm going to have to you know, spend $3.50 on this toothpaste that I might hate. So tell me why this is going to be the best damn toothpaste or eliminate the the barrier by making it free for me to try it the first time. Um, you know, maybe it's going to make my yeah, teeth turn yellow. So convince me that, you know, it's the, the that I don't have anything to fear for. So I kind of think of it more along those lines. And then pricing is just kind of a natural thing that flows out of that, which is more about is there a business model that um, can fit into what the customer is willing to pay, which is more a reflection of the value that you're delivering to them. Right. Right? So it, it's kind of like people decide to do things because they want to improve things or they want to make things less bad. Is kind of And oftentimes, it's a little bit of both. So if I think of our customers, they want to be able to more holistically screen applicants, not just on cognitive, but on, non, on the non-academic side as well. So they, they want to be able to do that without spending... Um, a lot of money and time, right? So there's the value for them. So we come to them and say, hey, we can do this for you. And say, oh, wow, that's really interesting. But, you know, what about this and that and the other thing? All the things that I'm, I'm afraid of, you know, these are potential uh, barriers. And you can convince them that those things aren't barriers. They're willing to come along with you because they realize, oh, okay, well, you know what? The, the energy I have to put into getting to this better place is rather modest. Um, you know, the price that it's coming along for is decent, and I'm willing to undergo that change. And if you can articulate that, if you have a tremendous value that you're delivering somebody without a lot of, uh, you know, where they can just, it doesn't even have to be that the barrier is low to them trying that new solution. It's just that the value has to be overwhelmingly clear to them. Right. And the fear of making that leap has to be Sufficiently low that they're willing. So to So pricing try
0: it. is connected to the perceived value or what the end value will be, Correct. and that may be completely disconnected from the cost it takes to deliver that value.
1: A hundred percent. In fact, you know, you may have ten different companies that are all trying to solve the same problem, trying to bring somebody to this, you know, other place, if you will, right, and are able to articulate this. This great. They may have ten different business models. One you know, the, I, I could describe to you a, a thousand different business models, but maybe only two of them make sense, right? Right. The rest of them are, I, I don't know, I make up silly examples that are that are useless, but, uh, um, but there's only, you know, you have to arrive at a business model that makes sense for the problem that you're solving or the value that you're delivering.
0: So right? how do you figure out what that value is? So this is one thing that I think for me personally, that was a challenge for me early on, it still is a challenge, is, and and we talk a lot about user experience, right? And so how do you understand what it's like for your potential customer, your potential user, Mm -hmm. in terms of the value that they see, and what kind of, um, and then upon agreeing to try it out or to use it, the value that they get every day using that product or using that service. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you figure out what that what that value is, and what and therefore what you should be charging for that service?
1: It's okay. So I'll start with it's tough. <laughs> it's tough, but um, the better you can articulate that case for change, like, look, let's take a couple examples. Companies, uh, I don't know, you're trying to get some big uh, enterprise company to change software systems, right? You can convince them they're going to save 100 hours of effort each year, and those 100 hours are worth to them $10,000. And, uh, you know, your solution, you convince them that they can get to this better place and that it's not going to, you know, cause them to look stupid, which, by the way, is a huge thing in B2B type sales. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people are like, hey, I'm going to take this risk. Am I going to look better because we did this or worse? You know, even if you can articulate what the return is for them, right? Right. But the more you can get down to what that number is, like okay, so say I'm saving you ten thousand dollars a year. Are you going to balk at me charging five thousand dollars as an example? Right. Um, and again, that'll differ depending on where you're in, but it's where you know what solution you're delivering, of course, right? But a lot of it comes back to being able to articulate that uh, in a dollars and, and cents. Well, and again, it depends what you're selling it into what market.
0: It seems. It seems like part of the process is almost like going on a scouting mission and understanding where, you know, where the costs are, what the pain points are, and not just at a sort of, you know, soft level where, or, or a superficial level, like really getting into understanding like the numbers behind, if I'm going to save you X number of hours per year, those hours are valued at, at Y number of dollars. And therefore the pain that I'm removing is X times Y, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. So let's let's take an, uh, another example just to kind of illustrate it. We all know Uber as an example, yeah. right? Let's look at what they did, okay? So um, in the early days when they didn't have UberX here in Toronto, they were acting as basically a fancy cab hailing service. Right. I used them. I love them. Why? Because I could call the taxi without having to talk to anybody. I could see where it was as it was coming to me. Right. Right. I didn't have to whip out a credit card at the end and wait for them to and fill in the thing and pass it to me in that awkward end of taxi experience. And potentially steal all your money. <laughs> and that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I could just walk out of the, the cab at the end, which was a fantastic user experience, as it were. Yep. And they emailed me a receipt that showed me the route I took. And oh, by the way, if I had a problem, I, could, uh, you know, I knew exactly who the cab driver was. If I forgot something in the cab or whatever heavy, which, by the way, happened to me. I forgot my keys in the cab and I was able to talk to that person. So what did it cost me extra to do that? It right. cost me nothing extra and yet I got all this value delivered to me. So why wouldn't I use that? There's no reason why I wouldn't use that. In fact, right. I came I, I became a big advocate for people using Uber back in the day before there was even Uber. So, so, so
0: should Uber be charging you more?
1: Well, so that's that's not for me to say. All I'm <laughs> saying <laughs> All I'm saying is that they're de- delivering a tremendous amount of value right. with uh, with me not having to pay anything more, it becomes a, uh, I hate using the word no-brainer, but it becomes a no-brainer decision. And more importantly, that, that better experience, that better future that they were able to show me, uh, came at the pain of what? Putting an app on my phone and scanning in a credit card? There was almost no barrier. Right. So why wouldn't I use it, right? Now take the, go even further to you know, the, the speed at which they've acquired customers more recently, They've got UberX, right? So let's think about that. If I was, uh, you know, um, somebody older than myself that's only used regular cab service, and I'm trying to tell them why they should try UberX as an example, there's also, you could articulate all the reasons why they should, right? Not the least of which is they're going to save money. Right. 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 So there's a tremendous amount of value, and there's very little barrier. If they had said to me, you need to submit... a blood sample and a hair sample to make sure that you're val- you're uh, worthy of being a customer <laughs> of ours, and you have to mail in an application. It's only four pages long. Don't right. worry, mail it in, snail mail to P.O. box, whatever up in Markham. You know, would I be using that service? No, I wouldn't be using that service. So it, again, it's it's not just what value I'm delivering, right. but it's at what cost as well. Not just in terms of uh, numbers, but you know, time and.
0: Um, so, so there's, there's, it seems like there's two important parts to understand. There's what you described as the barriers, right? Mm-hmm. So what it's going to take to get them to, um, I guess, give it a shot, try it out. Is that it? Yeah, sure. And then there's the actual understanding of what that value that you're delivering right. is. And so again, both of those are totally unrelated to the cost of operating your business or your product. Yes. That is a, that is a very, um, counterintuitive thing. Because for I think for many of us for all our, for at least I can speak for myself from all my life I just assume that mm-hmm. the way you, you make money the way you run a business is you have something at at a certain cost you have a small markup onto that you and and at scale that ends up becoming a large number of, of dollars absolutely and that's and that's business and,
1: and you're not wrong that is how business works but just keep in mind that most of those business models won't be rationalized by having customers
0: right because <laughs> they're defined <laughs> by competition and, and other, other people in the space. At well, the-
1: you know, like I could be solving the same problem and charging 10 times more than anybody would be able, you know, willing to pay, or I could have that just dis- that, uh, you know, description I had of the adoption barriers to somebody going into using Uber as an example. Right. And there's no way somebody, so my point being though, that there's lots of businesses you can articulate and you're not wrong. You need to mark up your costs and charge whatever you're charging. Right. But a lot of those businesses don't make sense. And that's, you know, in a lot of cases, why they fail, right? right? They fail for a whole number of reasons, don't get me wrong, it's not just that, but that's, <laughs> if you're taking that approach, you, you know, could very strongly run into that problem, right? I kind of start out at it the other way, you know, thinking about the customer, what, how, how big is that pain that you're solving for them? Right. How can you articulate that it's a low barrier to entry? And then what could I charge for doing that? Um, and then, what kind of business model would allow me to actually rationalize a business around that? So, so does
0: it make more sense then to, if you're if you think you have a problem, you want to build a product to solve this problem. You think this problem exists. Like step one is not just like understand if if these potential if these people who you think will be your customers have that pain point, mm-hmm. but also do everything you can to quantify what the size of that pain point is, um, how often it happens, what the context of that pain point is. When it's worse, when it's easier, like everything around surrounding, surrounding that, so that you know going into the development of this product exactly how much you're going to be able to charge, exactly mm-hmm. who would be willing to pay it, and why.
1: I would I would argue that you defer building and uh, doing anything on the product side or the business side until you've understood that part of it really, really well. And so in we, fact, we you made have,
0: that mistake big time.
1: You, but this is the thing: <laughs> is that you're probably. In the majority though, I wouldn't yeah. say the minority is there's a lot of problems looking for sorry, there's a lot of solutions looking for problems. Right. And when you talk about building a business in that way, you're creating a solution and then go looking for the problem that it fits. And you know, that sometimes comes with, oh well, you know, out of a cast of a hundred potential customers, only two are gonna go for it, right? Well, because you've built a solution and you've gone looking for the problem. The problem is that only two people experience it in, <laughs> right. the, in the magnitude that you described that would fit with your business model, right? Gotcha. So
0: looking at, so tactically speaking, if if let's say we're, we're starting from scratch here, we're, we think there's a problem that exists and, and whatever that problems happened to be, we think we have the capabilities to build a solution to that to that problem. And I want to start by talking to 25 potential customers to understand if they experience that problem, how they experience it, how big the problem is, what is the ultimate, ultimately what's the dollar cost to them mm-hmm. um, of that problem and, and how much would they will be willing to pay to like um, remove that problem? So how does that conversation go with those folks? What are the things that, that I should be asking them? And I don't just ask this hypothetically, like I I may very well go through this exercise in the next few weeks. So <laughs> okay. with that in mind, <laughs> what, what, what would you recommend?
1: Sure. Um, so it's a little bit of an art and it depends what area you're in that you're probing for. But I think a lot of it comes down to um, trying to ask a lot of questions and being a really good listener and saving the solution that you have in mind for another day. Right. Right. Or, you know, um, not, you know, whipping out the solution and saying, well, would you buy this? (laughs) What you really want to do is start by confirming that there's uh, a problem and it's a problem worth solving, I guess, part of it, right? Right. Like, uh, you know, uh, say, hypothetically, you were trying to, um, you know, start up a business that, I don't know, helps people rent something more easily, as an example. Well, you probably want to talk to people who are potential renters of things and p- potential people who are rentees. Yep. You know, describe or ask them to describe whether there's any issues in the certain area that you wanted to focus on on solving. Maybe you wanted to work on a payment solution that helped renters pay uh, the landlords more easily or something like that. Well, what does that problem look like? Oh, I have to submit checks every every month and it's a pain I spend an hour writing out you know monthly checks or something. And right. another person on the other side says, oh yeah, it's a pain because I have to drop them off at the bank and it takes seven days for the checks to clear. Um, you know what I mean? And just trying to understand what that what so that let's process say with looks that, like. with
0: that example. So they say it takes 7 days for the checks to clear and that, that really pisses me off mm. cuz I need that money now. How do you go and then take that and say so you would pay what? For <laughs> a, so you know what I mean? Like we have we have almost a, uh, a like a, a there, there's almost necessarily a, a disconnect between or at least unless you're dealing with something that's strict, like I'm going to save you hard mm-hmm. cash because you're paying this much for, for function X sure. now, now and we can do it for a third of that price yeah. and better, yeah. right? Um, in most cases, that doesn't quite exist. So one example is in the case where you're building a technology or a product that is going to augment the ability of a company to capture an opportunity, mm-hmm. right, in the market, mm-hmm. whatever that happens to be, right? How do you then go and flip that into, so you, therefore you should pay me why?
1: Um, Okay, so it's a good question. Again, it's very specific. You know, I hate generalizing because um, what I've learned is that there's lots of similarities, but there's plenty of nuances of everything that can kind of throw a monkey wrench into it. There's a lot of different variables that you need to consider. So So we won't
0: hold you to your word on this necessarily (laughs) to every precise one. But in general, what do you think we should do?
1: Yeah, but I think the same approach holds true. Right. In a lot of cases, you have founders who understand... Um, excruciatingly well a business, which is one of the things that I think VCs and angels look for, is how well do people understand the field that they're going into? You know, I'm, uh, I'm solving a problem in the ballet world. And I, work, I was 10 years in ballet and my parents were as well. And I understand this thing inside and out or whatever it happens to be. But that's one way you get that expertise. I think a lot of people fixate on uh, consumer products, of course, in that case, they're like, hey, I'm a consumer, I, I know this business, but they don't know necessarily what every consumer would think. And right, so right. that's where it becomes really valuable to go out and to talk to people as well. Um, but, but again, it, you know, understanding what the problem is, like, sorry, I won't say it's understanding, it's definitely understanding, but it's sort of validating that your premise that there's a problem to solve exists. And then the next question is, it worth solving? So in other words, is the value that you could bring to the to the uh, table worthwhile of them actually making the leap to you? And again, it depends on what the barriers are. Right. right. If I'm delivering enormous value, perhaps I can make them undergo much steeper barriers. They can go through a procurement process, and they can convince some C-suite people to, you know, to take on my solution, for instance, or whatever have you. Um, or in a different case, you know, I can take away the barriers by giving somebody a free product or letting them try something for a while or giving them a credit right off the bat just for signing up or whatever, right? right? I still have to articulate to them why my, and again, we're jumping around on examples, why my, this is my one that I see all the time, right? Why my food delivery service is so much better than somebody right. else's food delivery service, right? You've got to articulate what stands you apart from all these other people that are out there. So again, there's a whole bunch of things that go into it, but certainly confirming, validating that this problem exists um, and, and trying to go through an exercise of, is this worth solving for that person? So to go back to that rental example, just for fun, um, say when I deposit that check, I have to walk a kilometer to my bank, deposit a physical check, and they charge me 10%, Right. And you can say to them, look, you just take a picture of that physical check, and and I'll only take a three percent charge, and it'll go into your account, you know, right away. And maybe you've got some funny way of, uh, you know, making sure the money gets deposited quicker or whatever. Um, and to sign up, like it's nothing at all. I take a picture of your check and import all the data for you, and you know that. There's an example. It's like there's an enormous amount of value. There's actually a dollar figure that's attached to it because you're able to deliver something at a lower cost. Right. Right. That's an easy example. The barrier is low. You know, so you probably have a big driving force to do it. But you know what? That also exists for companies that are in that market, and they're probably also trying to solve the same uh, same problem. Maybe are better positioned than you are. Right. Right. Maybe the the risk of somebody. Going with, uh, you know, uh, Alex's new company with three people (laughs) isn't worth abandoning the bank that they can go to that they've dealt with for 30 years. So again, you know, there's a whole variety of reasons why somebody may or may not um, do something, and you kind of articulate it as the irrationality of a customer. Right. Um, But I don't see it that way. I think it really does come down to, you know, what value you're delivering. Sometimes, you know, there's a marketing function, often actually. How well can you articulate and how crisply can you articulate that to a customer? Like, can you tell them exactly why you should be using something, you know, in no time flat where they're like, yes, I got it, right? So there's an understanding of what the value is. There's the barriers. There's the competition. There's, you know, the risk, right? What the risk of using you versus using somebody else who's an established player in the market. So there's all sorts of things that come into it. But my fundamental belief, and this is what we were talking about, is that it comes down to what is the actual value I'm delivering versus what I'm asking? So, you know, your pricing is what you're going to extract. So what's that value versus what I'm trying to extract? What are the barriers? What are the fears that somebody might have about, um, about using this thing, which actually is another potential barrier that you have to get over? Funda- fundamentally, right?
0: it seems that the, the meta lesson here is you need to be able to look at your product through the lens of your customer in every aspect and that's what it comes down to and that the cost associated with delivering and operating that product is in no way entering the mind of your potential customer when they're making a purchasing decision.
1: Do you, hey, absolutely, with the only caveat being that sometimes if you can't articulate why you're charging a certain amount, even though somebody's experiencing the value that you say that you can and they are willing to go for it, they still want to beat you down on cost.
0: Right, right. right.
1: <laughs> but in no way are you going to be able to go to them and say, I'm only delivering this amount of value, but you need to pay this much. Like if I, if I, if I came to you and uh, let's use toothpaste examples because we've talked about them already. And I said, here's this toothpaste. It tastes like Colgate. It's the same color as Colgate. Comes in the same size, and I'm going to charge you ten dollars for it because it costs me much more to buy all the individual ingredients. Because I'm a smaller <laughs> cust, I'm a smaller player in the market. I have to mix it by hand. You know how much that costs to hire somebody to mix stuff by hand. It costs. What's your answer going to be? Obviously, it's going to be no. Not. So I would, I would strongly suggest that yeah, you start with the customer. You know, your potential customer, your perceived customer, you do a lot of validation on that side of things. You only get to the point where you're building something, hopefully, if you want to be kind to yourself and kind to your investors when you've actually, you know, uh, tested your assumptions in multiple different areas running up to that point. Right. And the best possible case is that you know a lot about this area. Maybe you've worked in it, you've lived it, whatever. You understand it really, really well. And, you already understand what that pain is and that therefore you can kind of work from that angle of, oh man, if only somebody did this for half the cost, well, here's this business model that's so cool that could do that and deliver this efficiency. You know, that's fantastic. You already have kind of solved the upfront stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but absolutely, I'm a big believer in, you know, and this is uh, Steve Blank, lean startup type stuff, I think, but I get out of the building, talk to lots of people, yeah. <laughs> customers, <laughs> competitors, whatever. So,
0: yeah, I mean, this is, is, I mean, we obviously focus a lot on, like, user experience. And it seems like what you're saying when it comes to doing pricing, you do the same stuff that you do when you're trying to figure out how to build a great user experience. Is you go, you talk to customers, you understand what the problem they experience is through their eyes, what kind of value having that problem solved would deliver, and you work your way back from there almost. And taking into account the barriers to getting somebody to try it out or to use it, and then, um, you know, whatever, figuring out whatever that value, uh, the end value of, of that would be. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's it's how do I make this product work under those circumstances? And you may find that the the work it takes to deliver a huge amount of value is not so high. And that's like a highly successful business could be. Absolutely. And you would only know that if you went out and tested the waters of how painful this, this particular problem is. Yeah.
1: Just keep in mind, though, that there's a lot of other things that go into it. You know, can you convince customers or or articulate your value crisply enough, you know, properly enough? Maybe you are delivering value, but you're not telling them. Maybe you don't know it. Right. <laughs> maybe it's, that's what, a lot of times what pivots are, right? <laughs> <And> <laughs> like we thought the value was over here, but it's not. It's actually over here after we talk to all these people. Right. You know, they say, hey, this is great, but only if it did this over here. And you say, oh, that's a pivot. Well, it's really just... Delivering a little bit different value than what you thought you were originally, right? Brilliant. The UI, the UI side of things. The UI side of things, though. Um, you know, do you do you see that as um, addressing the barrier?
0: I think in many cases, it, the having a great user experience in your actual product is a removal of a barrier mm. in many cases. So one thing that that you can look at is there's a number of products where. You can actually sign up and, or not even sign up. You can start using them without inputting any information whatsoever, and so you get to basically experience the product up until the point where it's like, deliver me this product, or you know, or integrate with such and such a data set, or who knows what it, what it is. But you can actually experience what it's like to use it without ever having to even input an email address, and that that exists on a number of products. And what it does is greatly reduce the barrier because now they're able to put themselves in the shoes of them with that product versus where they were yesterday and see mm-hmm. if that's a significant improvement.
1: Totally um, that makes
0: sense to me. So from, from a user and, and the other challenge with, with a lot of the user experience stuff that we see is that the barrier the, the expectation for user experience today is so unbelievably high. And it's because we're all using, you know, all of us have the same 20 apps on our phones. Mm -hmm. Because we all have Uber, and Uber is an instant transportation application to to take you anywhere in the city. And because we have, you know, Twitter, which can instantly tell you about everything that's going on in the world. And because we have Facebook, where we can instantly know what all our friends and family and loved ones are up to, right? Because we all have those apps, that's sort of what we think is of a standard now, even though those are products that have gone through years of iterations, years of improvements. So it's putting a huge burden on product teams to to step up to the plate and deliver at that level, which is why talking to users has never been more important. Testing your prototypes, testing all that kind of stuff has never been more important.
1: Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And, you know, people won't put up with, um, you know, two clicks to do what one will. (laughs) Exactly. Being confused about where they're supposed to go on a given page. I mean, again, for a lot of consumer products, these are the things that uh, are barriers that oftentimes cause people to not use the app, right?
0: A hundred percent. And it's funny because the way you described um, the way you described the pricing and the value and, and thinking about all that, it seems like it's the exact same process that you would do with building a great user experience or building a great interface um which which is neat it's something that I think most people don't necessarily think about we've kind of been ingrained to test our products right even if we don't do it we've heard that message a million times right? right get out of the office put your product in front of people take your prototype put it in front of somebody get some feedback talk to five people go back to the office and iterate mm-hmm. and then you go back out again and, and you know with with lean with the lean startup and and all the agile stuff like we've heard that a million times but i've never heard that Pr- thinking about pricing and value delivery being done in that exact same way, where it's get out of the office, talk to them about their pain point, understand every aspect of it, go back, think about what that product could be, and bring it back to them. What if I could do X for you at Y cost? Would that be great? Right? Tell me why or why not. How would you use it? Yada yada. Go back to the office, maybe iterate again.
1: Um, yeah, and just sorry, one last thing about that that last point. I, I I agree that that's the right process. It's just this is where the art comes down to it. When you've gone through it a number of times, you just have to be careful that when you're saying, hey, here's the the product, you're understanding, um, you're describing to that person fully what that experience would be like in terms of all the barriers and everything. And you're looking for um, them being afraid of calling your baby ugly. Right. Okay? Exactly. No, you're no, you proud, you're a proud parent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're showing off your baby and mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to be... That's great. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to, you know, damage our relationship, Alex. Yeah. That's fantastic. Good job, bud.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we've had that. It's tough.
1: Yeah, it is That's something. why we
0: always say, like, start off whenever you you have one of those kinds of conversations. Start off by saying, "Look, this is a, a piece of crap prototype. Yeah. Um, we have a long way to go. We might throw the whole damn thing out, but yeah. we want to know if there's anything good about yes, it here. Yes. And is if there anything so, salvageable, yeah, about can this? we salvage <laughs> that and keep it in for the next part? And yeah. if they think that it's great, they'll let you know. No, no, don't throw anything out. This is." This is something else. Right? Well, there you like, go. So now I learned
1: something. That's a good approach. Yeah,
0: that's, that's how we do it. Excellent. Because um, otherwise, you know, they'll sugarcoat it too much, especially when you deal with Canadians. We're too polite about things, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Anyway, um, thank Super. you so much for joining us. This was awesome. And i learned a bunch of stuff. So now if it doesn't work Me out, too. talking to all these customers and trying to figure out what their pain point are, I'm coming back to you. That sounds and good. We're going to have We're going to have another Podcast number two. All right, cool. All right, Thanks so Alec. much. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for tuning into the Steadfastcast. A special thank you goes out to our venue and tech sponsor, the DMZ at Ryerson University. If you're building a startup in Toronto, this is definitely a great place for you to be. Go to dmz.ryerson.ca to check out what sort of programs they have available and to get involved. And as always, if you're building a great product and looking for feedback from awesome testers and awesome users, get in touch. Go to steadfastbeta.com and shoot us a message. Thanks so much for joining us.